don't know why I didn't come. I don't know why I didn't come. I don't know why. With his parents and his brother Charles were the last residents of Stonelaw Tower, which for many years was the most imposing building in Burnside. In this first programme, Donald recalls his time living in Stonelaw Tower and remembers Stonelaw Farm, which was next door to the property. He also tells me about the problems he and his family had in trying to keep warm in winter in what was effectively a Victorian mansion. Donald began by telling me about the political career of his father, Alan, who bought Stonelaw Tower in 1934. My father was in the council for long and weary. And what party was it? The Unionist Party? It was the Unionist aye, Party. Aye. Uh, it was quite unusual because he was a Catholic, and in those days that was really quite unusual. Um, to if you were Catholic, you were you were Labour. I mean, that was it. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it was unusual to have a Catholic who was uh, standing as as a Unionist candidate. I can remember as a wee boy. Uh, this would be about nineteen fifty one two. He was out uh, almost every night at the council. You know. yeah. Meeting, yeah. and he was on the council when the Queen came and uh, oh, right. and came to the Rutherglen Town Hall and mm-hmm. had a dinner and all that. And uh, at that point, you lived you lived in Stonewall Tower then. Yes, right. So, who do you remember about those days then? About your, your time there. Well, funnily enough, I don't know if um, I, to go back to the earliest I know about it. I know about it through uh, a, a branch of the Masonic Lodge. Because I don't know if you know, Stonelaw Towers was owned by the Masons. And I got a phone call one day from this chap, Campbell, Jim Campbell, I think it is, who uh, said, look, uh, I'm, I'm researching Stonelaw Towers. Do you know Jim? I know Jim. Right. So he came up and he, he interviewed me and he got, I drew a, a diagram of the tower for oh, him as far, as far as I could remember mm-hmm, it. And he shanghaied me to do the immortal memory at his birth supper. Anyway, he's mm. uh, so he he told me, which I didn't know, that uh, my father bought the house in 1934. Uh, now he got married in 37, so he was actually in the house for three years before um, he got married on his own. Yes. Mm. He'd have been, and I know that um, there was a, an Empire exhibition around that time. I think it was thirty-seven Empire exhibition, and I, I don't know where the the actual exhibition was, but um, I, I know it had a, one of the things it had was a was a a room with a, a, a roof with heraldic symbols with shields and all along as part of the exhibition. And my father bought this when the, the exhibition was finished and mm. we saw that and that was the hall of our house, was this room with all these... Well, it was quite fantastic, you know. Sure. Um, anyway, he bought the house from the Masons in '34, and he would have worked in the house and done all this mm. sort of stuff before he got married, because he got married in '37. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, was it 37 he got married? Mm. No, it must have been before 37. Because my my brother was born in 37, so it mm. must have been before that. I was thinking it was three years. It was, the gap's less than that. I yeah. don't, so it, I thought it was three years before my father was 
he, what was he had been in before he got married. Obviously, it was less than that, probably 18 months or yep. something. Anyway, um, he did a lot to the house. Um, and uh, as I say, I drew out, I drew out as far as I can remember, a diagram of the house. Right. Um, Have you still got that? Or? I have, but I could do it again. Ah, you know? yeah, In yeah. fact, I'd probably do it better because yes. afterwards I looked at pictures <laughs> and I got that a wee bit wrong, right. you know. Um, well, if you could do that for us again, that'd be great. I'll do that. I'll yeah. just show you this. Sure. This is again before I was born. Oh. Donald showed me a black and white photograph of his parents' wedding at Stonelaw Tower in the 1930s. His father is shown in full Highland dress and is wearing a monocle, while his mother, Mary, holding a large bouquet of flowers, wears a white bridal gown in the fashion of the time. That is... These are most of these are in the public domain. Yes, right. you've got that. Got that one, one, yes. yeah, right. You've got that one. Mm. That because they had the reception in the house, right? So that's the grounds of the uh-huh. of the house, sure. Which was about an acre, right? Um, and it was. You'll know that at, in its its less salubrious days, it had been the, mm. I think the shaft for the mine, the mining tunnel, you know, yeah. down. Right. And there were bits of our garden that would sink. Really? Yeah. Mm. You know, because uh, the places, all of Rutherford's little were these workings, you know, Mm -hmm, but there mm -hmm. were bits of the garden that would would sink. And in the latter days in the house, this is in the 60s when my mother sold it, I mean, the house was, um, there were two towers. You'll have the pictures of the house, I take it, in the public domain. Sure. Um, But it was the main town then was a ducat. Right. Where they kept pigeons and mm. all that in the old right. days, and yep. uh, that that bit you could see was coming away from the main mm. house because mm. it was sinking. I mean, yep. uh, so when we hold this, when when my mother sold the house eventually, it was, um, I mean, it was it was irreparable. I mm. think you know, sadly. Yes, indeed. There was a farm next door to our house, Inter- okay, right. where the houses in the corner are. Right. That was a farm. And in the morning, I used to go and uh, with a jug mm. next door to get the milk, you mm-hmm. know. it was The farm was about five acres, so it was a very small farm. And on the other side of the house was the rural picture house. Um, the rural picture house, <coughs> which had a, a sizable car park, to it, you yeah. know, where you park the car and so on. Yeah. And in that block, there was Birrells, who were the sweet shop, uh, and there was a there was a tailor there at one point. I can't remember his name, but there was a small block of, of things. And behind that, there was a a chap, a Mister Stewart, who who had a, oh, he had a, Charles would probably remember better than I what he did, but. He he had he had animals he had he had I think he had um, dogs and things nice, and yeah. all that mm. and, and that was at the back so that block was um, that was all that was in that block and behind that was the houses which uh, were there and, and are still there. So the farm you talked about, which was Stonewall Farm, yes, actually I <coughs> joined Stonewall Tower then. Yes. So the walls that were still there today, I think, may still be part of the old farm. Yes, yes. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Got a photograph somewhere. I'm now showing Donald some photos of the massive sandstone walls that you can still see next to the flats at Stonelaw Towers. 
that perhaps might still be part of the old... Yes, uh, that's exactly the sort of wall it was. Aye. And that would probably be the wall against, you know, the, the wall ran, uh, that was the boundary wall. Hmm. That would be the boundary wall between the house and the farm. Goodness. So when did you leave then, Stonewater? Um, well, my father died in 1959, um, and we were in the house till about... Again, Charles might remember better, but it was about 1962-3. And at that point, I mean, the house, it was a big house, Mm. and there was myself and my mother in it, uh, and my younger brother. And uh, it was fun. I mean, it was... (laughs) You were rattling around in it. (laughs) Well, yeah, another thing is, Mm. people forget, but uh, they're talking about... uh, you know, not being able to turn on the heating. I mean, in the winter, mm. we lived in one room, and it was the smallest room in the tower. It was, yeah. a, it was, a, it was the lowest floor of the tower. Each the tower was just one room per floor, yeah. um, and we lived in that room. I mean, we didn't heat the rest of the house because because you couldn't say. Uh, I remember my father got a quote for central heating or something, and it was twelve hundred pounds. Now in those days, yeah. twelve hundred pounds was more than a year's salary for most people. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was just a mm. non-starter. Sure, sure. But I mean, you just—that was just the way it was. You right. didn't cheat the house. <laughs> you put another coat in the bed. Mm. You know. <laughs> so, but there's a photograph. I haven't got it with me. It's a colourised photograph. It looks a bit like a gardener in the in the ground. Yes, I've got a copy of that. Is that right? Out there, right. right. What do you remember about that? Um, I think that I think that's before looking at the ivy mm. on that. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Before your time. Let me have a look. Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Remind myself. These are the two which you'll be familiar with. Right. Right mm-hmm. This time, Donald shows me two old photographs of Stonewall Tower. These show the massive tower itself, sitting in the centre of a large single-storey building with a castellated roof. High on one corner of the property is a ducat in the shape of a medieval round tower. The lower half of the main tower and the whole of the ducat are covered in ivy. Um, now, by the time I was born, mm-hmm. the, the ivy went right to the top. Okay. I mean, it went right up to the top. So oh. these would be a lot earlier than that. Sure, yeah. So that, I don't know who that is. I mean, we had a, a gardener called Alec, but I think... Mm-hmm. Well, that's this, 1900, that would be about... Yeah. So See, that's way before that us. Really, yeah. um, that would figure, because it, it would take the ivy a while to get up to the very mm-hmm. top. So in your day then, the tower looked... Was it all called... Was it all known as a tower collectively? The whole building? Yes. Right. So a lot of towers. So yeah, so a lot of towers, that's And it was varied whether it was plural or... Aye, aye. yeah. Okay. Know. And does it look much, much as it is in exactly. your Exactly. Yeah, chimneys and all the whole Exactly, bit. that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just uh, the ivy was different. And is that the ducat there? That one. That's the ducat. Got you. Okay. And by the time we sold the house, that was, you could see it. Hey. Curved, you know. Sure. Sure. It's a fine building. Well, it was. I think it was designed to make to look older than it actually was. Yeah. With the kind of gothic medieval style. With the kind yes. of castellated bits on I it. I mean, I can't remember. My father was into these sorts of things. Yeah. But it wasn't that old. No. Uh, I've got a date here somewhere, uh, 1883 I think, 
Was it? Aye, quite late Victorian. Oh, Aye. right. I hadn't realised it was as, as late as that. Well, there are maps showing an older house on that same site oh, before, right. back oh, right. in Spencey's time. Right. So that must have replaced the, the earlier estate house that yes, was there. Yes, yes. The house was unsaleable. Aye, as a house. As a house. Aye. I mean, nowadays it might be different, mm. uh, but, but in those days, I mean, big houses were... Right. Out totally out of fashion, yeah, yeah. and uh, the house was unsaleable, mm. and we were very fortunate because the house was just under an acre, of the grounds, and uh, um, that it was just the frontage that was valuable. Right. And Shell approached us, and uh, mm. and uh, I think we thought we were very fortunate because yeah. my mother, I mean, my mother didn't need a house that size, mm. and uh, it, uh, we couldn't have sold it. Mm. So uh, I'm Carrick MacDonald, and you're listening to Halfway to Borough, the Two Towns local history show on Cam Glen Radio. In this programme, I'm talking to Donald Tilston about his memories of living in Stonelaw Tower. So I wonder what their plans were for it then. Did they want to say they, 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 in order to presumably get planning permission, hmm. they, they proposed this development, which was the petrol station at the front of the houses behind. So that was the... Yeah. That was the, the plan they came So the, there was with. always the intention to demolish the tower then, right? Oh, yes. Aye. Yeah. I mean, the tower was, by this time, um, as I say, it, it was non-salvageable. Sure. So, sure. yes, it, the, mm. there, there was no question of them restoring the house or anything. It was, yeah. They bought it for the frontage. Of course, of course. So in, in terms of yourself then, do you went to school locally then in Brotherland? Or? I originally went to school in St. Colin Kills. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in Science Column Kills for, uh, I think, two years. Miss Kane was the teacher. Uh, Miss Kane was, you'll have come across Miss Kane, I would guess, no? Mm-hmm. She, was, she was one of the worthies of, uh, of St. Column Kills, and she, mm-hmm. she took us up through, certainly. You changed every half year mm-hmm. in those days, and uh, she took us up through the first year and a half I think and I can still remember the first I, I think it was the second or third class I was in so by this time I would be six and a half or something um, I still remember uh, they, they sat us all down on day one and uh, they said by Jove they said that's 72 people that's quite a big class 72 <laughs> Still remember that, you know, yep. things, funny things stick in your mind. <laughs> Some stupid children in a class, you know. And then my parents took me away and I went to school in Hamilton Park, which was a school uh, in in Kelvin Side. Right. Yep. Um, private school. Really, it was a school, a feeder school for St. Aloysius. Right. And uh, they sent me there so I would pass the exam mm-hmm. to get to St. Aloysius. So yes. I went from St. I went to St. Aloysius when I was eight, until mm. I was 17. And what happened when you left school then? What did you do? Uh, when I left school, I um, I went to university, mm-hmm. uh, Glasgow, uh, did a degree in maths and physics, uh, and then joined the Western Regional uh, Physics Department in Glasgow. And what did that mean? in the hospital service for oh, right. two okay. or three years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did you move away from the, the from 
Brother Gamen. Yes, yeah. I, I, obviously, I got married in. I got married two years after I graduated, and uh, I bought a house in Addingston. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mother still lived in in uh, Burnside. With the two. Yes, because when we sold the towers. And I can still remember, I think she got £7,000 for the towers, something like that, seven or 8000 mm. And that was a huge amount of money mm. in those days. Mm. Um, and she bought a house in Albany Drive, which is, you know, just yeah. a stone's throw away. Sure. 28 Albany Drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was there for, um, till she died. Mm-hmm. So then, how did you end up here then? Well, I... Um, I worked in the physics department in the hospitals. At one point, I was in charge of all the radium in Scotland. Well, certainly the west of Scotland. We supplied, not radium, radioactive substances. So we were in charge, I was in charge of everything that was radioactive. I dispensed radioactive substances to send all around the the houses, particularly for for diagnosis of cancer of the thyroid. Was that not a fairly hazardous occupation? Then? It depends what you mean by hazardous. <laughs> I mean, you could count the fingers of no hands mm. how many people were killed. As this. Mm. Whereas, I mean, 30,000 a year dying from coal poisoning was, of course, course. That's just the way it is. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, no, it wasn't a hazardous yeah, yeah. job. I mean, you had to be careful mm. and wear a badge and all that, but yeah. no, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't hazardous, no. Mm. Uh, you had to be careful with the radium. Course. Because radium was oh. serious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I was in charge of the radium safe, mm. in the, which was in the old Beetson Hospital, not the new Beetson, which is totally the Beetson Hospital. This enormous um, mm. safe where we kept all the radium needles and tubes and so on. And yeah. my job was to, when they were doing implants of mm. radium, to get the needles out and right. make up the applicator and all that. Much. This is 60. I suppose sixty, no sixty six, sixty seven. But now mm. it was a big uh, lead. Lead. There was this enormous safe there, and it had forty drawers in it, and uh, you kept the radium in these drawers. Mm-hmm. And there was a handle you had to wind round. The, there was a rotational thing. It's all lead, you know. Uh, and you had to wind the handle until you lined the drawer up, so you could pull the drawer out, and the lead was about that thickness and at the end there was a tiny wee compartment and in the compartment sat the needles you see, mm. so my job was to wind the handle, pull the drawer out all this lead, get to the wee and take tweezers mm. and get the, the needles it was mainly needles out and put them behind the lead wall yeah. you know, oh, like that yeah. mm-hmm. you did it quickly I bet. you know, uh-huh. because you were aware it was <laughs> it was yeah, hot, you know, absolutely. and then you had a big elastoplast pad, which wouldn't be as big as that, maybe mm. half the size of that. Mm. Depending, it was used mainly to treat cancer of the mm. hand or, you mm. know, skin cancers. Mm. So you would have this pad, and on the pad was marked out the position of the needles, typically eight or nine needles, and you would mm. you would stick the needles onto the pad. Mm. Now, to be realistic, I mean, this was now going to be shoved onto a patient and left for a week, so... Yeah, when when I say it wasn't dangerous, mm. I mean that's yeah. the order of magnitude of the dose I was getting was yeah. minimal. Yeah, yeah. Minimal. Mm-hmm. I mean it was yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So that's what I did. But I remember there was this pad. Mm. It's the biggest one I ever did. Huge pad. There was 60 needles or something. Far mm. more than I'd ever done before. <laughs> and so you, you were doing it, trying to do it as quick as you could, you know. Mm. It's like this. You know, and you say, oh, right, that's it, finished. Mm. And I took my hands out. Mm-hmm. They were brick red. <laughs> now that wasn't the radium. Mm. <laughs> that was that, you know. Mm. And I remember looking at that Mm. And thinking, I induced that. Mm. I mean, you hear of these people saying, you know, he's, he says he's got pain, but it's just induced and he's like, come on. Mm. Mm. But I looked at that and I, I have induced that reaction. Mm. My mind has actually done that to my hands. Oh, the mind. Mm. Uh, amazing. Wow. wow. <laughs> it changes your view of, I bet. You know, of I bet. how minds and yeah. bodies can work together. Sure, and, sure, right. sure. Anyway, I did that, I, I, and then I left. Uh, I f- met up with a friend, an old friend who had, from school days, and we we bought a garage in East Kilbride. Um, we ran, and we ran the garage for three years. I mean, I had no idea about business, you know, and I made all the mistakes in the book. And the, 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 firm, the, the, the business went bust in three years. We sold cars and all that, anyway. Um, and of course, I had mortgaged my second guarantees up to the hilt. Mm. <laughs> oh dear. So uh, mm. anyway, when the garage went bust, we lost everything. The house, everything. You mm. see, um, that was sixty-nine. Sixty-nine. Yes. And uh, when you say we were you married by that time? Yes. Right. Mm. I'd been married. I got married in sixty-four. Right. So by this time, I had uh, three children. You see. So it wasn't, it was not the best time in my life. Anyway, we sold the house, well, the house was sold um, uh, by the the finance company and uh, I moved in with my mother in Albany Drive, the whole lot of us, for a year, I think, we were with her, before we got back on our feet and... uh, but I rented a house in Eastland Bride mm-hmm. for about a year and a half. But this time I'd managed to get a job with the PA Consulting Group, um, which is still, it was and still is a Aye. major consulting company. What did, what did they do? Um, in those days, they did, it was a, a generalist consultancy, but they, a huge volume of the business was what study, method study, all that sort of stuff, mm. you know. Um, so I joined in in 69 and, uh, I mean, worked for a whole range of typical Scottish clients. You know, mm. Lord Clyde Waterboard, I didn't deal a year there, putting all the men on, and it was the men in those mm. days, <laughs> no women, you know. Mm. Uh, put the wing all on bonus and main laying squads around the country. It was mm. it was a mm. education, you know. Yeah. Um, hackle makers in Dundee who made hackles. Hackles mm-hmm. are hackles are staves of wood, mm. and in the staves of wood, they drill holes at an angle, and then there's women about eighty women who fill these holes with pins. You see, right. so mm. and then you take the staves. And you put them on a drum, so there's, there's a drum made up of these things. So you've got a drum that's all pins, and then they spin the drum, mm. and it teases the cloth. Oh, right. So it was a main, it was a main part of the mm. 
of the industry for right. uh, for uh, teasing cloth and cotton and all. That'd be in Dundee, aye. It was in Dundee, yes, and it was the centre of the. And there were about eight or nine hackle makers in those days. Well, very good. But by the time we were there, there was only one left. Hmm. So, from your time in Albany Drive, then, back with your mum, Mm -hmm. where did you move after that? Did you move locally again, or? I moved, yes, I moved to Hill End Road. When we we got back on our feet, uh, I bought a house in Hill End Road, which is. um, Runs off Blair Beth mm-hmm. up yeah. the hill. Yep. At the top of a bungalow, hmm. nice bungalow, and we were there to, from 1971 uh, or two to 1989 mm-hmm. when I bought this house. Right. So that's your full circle then? That was me, and we've been in this house for 30, mm-hmm. three years, I think. Uh-huh. Okay. I'm Carrick MacDonald. And you've been listening to part one of a conversation I had with Donald Tilson about his time living in Stonelaw Tower. Many thanks to Donald for taking time to talk to me. The music was by Sugar Nifty. I hope you enjoyed this programme and that you can join me for part two of my conversation with Donald when he remembers the old shops around Burnside and the trams he used to get to school in Rutherglen and Glasgow. Until then, thanks for listening. Radio is an amazing medium. It can inspire, entertain, inform and connect people. This station, Cam Glen Radio, is run by a dedicated, passionate and committed team of volunteers and you can be one of those volunteers too. It doesn't matter if you're an experienced broadcaster or if you've never set foot in a studio in your life. We provide all the training and support that you need to do what you want to do. And it's a great way of making new social connections, learning new skills, expanding on your CV and just having loads of fun. So to find out more about volunteering with Cam Glen Radio, just email volunteering at healthynhappy.org.uk. You're listening to Press Pause on Cam Glen Radio. This is a programme that focuses on nature sounds to promote relaxation and mindfulness. For the next half an hour, you'll hear the sounds of Loch Fenneker in the Trossachs. <laughs>